0: We are in Joshua chapter 4 and chapter 5, and we are going to spend a minute or two to figure out where we left off last. We have 45 minutes. We're going to do just fine. We want to put in position a map in our heads, and this is Jericho right here. A walled city, at least three stories high. We have on all, well, in in the back and the sides, we have mountains. Jericho is the pass. You have to pass through Jericho to get up into the mountains to the other cities. So Jericho cannot be ignored. It has to be conquered, and it has to be done right. The Jordan River is here. Jericho's here. Jordan River is here. The majority of the Jewish community is on the other side over here. The women, the children, the animals, and all their stuff has been left on the other side of the river, and 40,000 strong military men of fighting age took off and walked on dry ground across the Jordan and then they're sitting, waiting for the next direction from God. We have a picture of the topography. I guess that's the right word. We know where things are. And now Joshua is on the other side. He's on the Jericho side of the, the river. On his way to a battle, he's supposed to lead the battle, and this is a must-win situation. Oh, dear. The Lord just said, do not make decisions in fear. That's for somebody. Do not make decisions out of fear. Okay? We'll go back to Joshua. If I get another interruption, you will know. He's a military mind. On the way to the battle, this is a must win. There is no retreat, retreat. God opened the Jordan River and allowed them to come through and pass through on dry land. But do you know the water did come back down in the river and that separated Joshua and the military men from the other side of the uh, Jordan River where all the families were. There is no retreat. They are now between the river and Jericho, distance of two to five miles. Some books say two miles, some say five miles, but it's a very short distance. There is no element of surprise. When we looked at Rahab... We found out that there were spies from Joshua that came into Jericho. And the king found out in no time that those spies were there. They knew that this 3 million people were on the other side of the Jordan River. And if this river stopped flowing for a period of a day to allow 40,000 people to cross, don't you think the people in Jericho two to five miles away would know? I believe so. So there is no element of surprise. That's a good military tactic, but it's lost. And there's no retreat. From what I can read in the scriptures, when they left Egypt, they did not bring any heavy military equipment. Those days they had catapults, they had battering rams, they had moving towers, they had ladders. We have, I can't find any slight discussion at all that they took anything except their meager belongings and some food to eat, and they took off out of Egypt, and who would carry around heavy things like that for 40 years? So there's no military Equipment, And on top of that, there's no plan. Is, this is a must win. If they don't win, uh, their families are probably going to be slaughtered. Everything they own, gone. There is no plan. Joshua hasn't heard the plan yet. The only thing he heard was, put the ark in the water of the Jordan River, and when it opens up, go through. He went through. Now, What we're going to look at today is what happens between crossing through the Jordan River and the conquest of Jericho. There's some time that takes place, and whatever God says to do in that time must be very important to him. This, what is happening, is the culmination of words spoken into the earth over the children of Israel from the beginning of the Bible when God began to call them apart and he began to say I want a covenant with you and I'm going to give you a land they came so close once they came right up to the Jordan River spies crossed over and they became fearful and they didn't cross over they Went 40 years under judgment and and just circled around in the wilderness. But now they're here. They have actually crossed the Jordan River. They have put their feet into the land. Does anybody remember in chapter 1 of Joshua, what did God say about where you put your foot? It belongs to you. This is their season of ownership. This is their What God has said is coming to pass. This is a big deal. This is God setting up the fulfillment of everything that he's spoken into the earth about covenant. Well, what does he do first? In chapter 4, he says, I want you to go and I want you, one from each tribe, to take a rock from the center of the Jordan. He did this when they were passing through. And there will be 12 stones on the Jericho side of the river. And they're supposed to be big stones, not little stones. One stone would indicate one tribe, so 12 stones, 12 tribes. And they made a pile of stones. Now the topography there is flat land, right in front of Jericho. And so a pile of stones that you can't walk through and on, but you have to walk around, would allow questions. What's this pile of stones here for? God thought it was important enough to make sure that these stones were put in place for a reason. In chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, he says, When the children will ask about what this pile of stones mean rehearse the story and the goodness of God. He's big on telling the kids about the goodness of God. When God does something in our lives, it shouldn't be that we hold it tight. It should be something that we shout abroad and shout abroad in our homes particularly. We are one generation away from atheism. Boy, what happened tonight here with the words that you got? God is putting in place an assurance to make sure that Jamaica has another generation of believers. Yeah, in Jesus' name. In Judges 2, 8 and 10, now this is a sad thing. Joshua died, and it says in my Bible... The next generation did not know God. Oh, my goodness, that's so sad. God gave a responsibility in Deuteronomy 4 to everyone that is, runs a household. Make these things known to your children and your grandchildren. I've known that for years. When my children were living at home, it was easy. I would make supper and tell them what God did for me that day. They've since moved out of the house, they have children of their own. And I'll tell you, when the children don't are not under your feet a lot, when you get to see them, uh, sometimes you don't have control over the situation and what you want to talk about is not what you get to talk about, and then they get their nose inside of an electronic machine and they shut you off. Well, had a wonderful experience with this recently. Thanksgiving, we went to Indiana, to Scott's house, and I have two grandchildren up there. And we didn't come home right after Thanksgiving because the last of our clan, Kendall, had decided that she would trust Jesus with her life and make him Lord. And when she was baptized that Sunday morning, so we came home from the baptism. But during the baptism, I heard, you tell these children about their heritage. Okay? Plan, next visit, plan, down the road. Oh, I couldn't get away from it. I bet he said it six or seven times while we were having lunch. We went back to the house, and I said, we're going to have a session. We're going to tell these children a little bit about their ancestors and their Christian heritage. We started off, and I went through my family, my mother's family, and how many generations back at least I knew four or five generations, they were all the pillars of the church. They started churches, they were the deacons, didn't have any preachers in there, but that's that's a good beginning. My dad's people, they were hard-drinking Canadians. Not believers. From David's side, his name is David Adams Paddington, because from his bloodstream from his mother he was associated with John Adams and John Quincy Adams and that is something we wanted to pass down to the next generation so both of our kids middle name was Adams and they didn't they didn't know the association to this the grandchildren didn't the children did but the grandchildren didn't know it and the other side of the family his dad they were immigrants from England, so we had immigrants from England, we had immigrants from Canada, and the children didn't even know that I had been to Africa. How did I miss that? But I told them a couple of stories from about Africa, and the fact they needed to know that I was a Preacher, They needed to know that. Maybe they didn't have that settled in their brain, but they needed to know that. And we sat for an entire afternoon, and we shared. And it was really precious because Robin, Scott's wife, her dad was there. And he told the story of how he prayed and prayed for his daughter who was sitting right there. She didn't know that he had prayed like that. For for months and weeks, and God gave him the privilege of leading his own daughter to the Lord. We had a wonderful time sharing, and those kids sat there, I'll bet two and a half, three hours. I I think at least didn't need a electronic device of any kind. They were enthralled, listening at the, the newness and the freshness of what they were seeing. God knows what he's doing. And he says, this is important to me. We're on our way to a battle. We are going to fulfill scripture that I have spoken into the earth, but this is important to me. This is the first thing I want you to do. I want you to build a remembrance tower of, of stones And I want you to tell the children when they ask, what are the stones about? Tell them what the stones are about. Now, these people that uh, had just come across the Jordan River had a story to tell. How would you like to hear one who was there tell the story? I would be enthralled and listen to everything the children need to hear the goodness of God. That was important to God. The second thing that we find out is on the way to this major conquest. What's important to God? Circumcision. Can you believe that? Here we are in a must-win battle, no retreat, no element of surprise, no weapons, no nothing, and God is about to debilitate an entire male army by circumcision for several days at least. Doesn't seem right, does it? Doesn't, doesn't seem right. One thing I've learned about God, he's not in a hurry. One thing I've learned about me, I am. Anybody else bear witness to that? He's not in a hurry. It appears from a, just a, a military situation that this is the time to move, to strike, to to do what you came for. And God it says no. Just the, the things that are important to me we're going to take care of. God wanted Passover was just a couple of days away, and he wanted all of Israel to participate in taking Passover together. But a requirement existed that you cannot participate in Passover unless you've been circumcised. Well, when the the men came out of Egypt, they were circumcised. But they went 40 years wandering in the wilderness, and there was no reason to circumcise the new boys that were born, because they were under judgment. You don't make covenant with God with dead people that are being punished. So there was an entire generation of people, I should say males, males, that had not been circumcised. And if they're going to have Passover together as a community, they needed to meet the qualifications. I cringe at the thoughts of doing this. I have participated in circumcision when I was in nursing school and training. Uh, It's not a particularly pleasant thing to do. Um, But it's even more unpleasant as I look back, because today there are sterile instruments, there are antiseptics, there are very, very, very sharp knives, and they had flint knives, a piece of flint that had been sharpened as best they could with another rock, they didn't have anything like antibiotics, no pain meds of any kind. we wusses considering <laughs> what happened to them. God is not in a hurry. Where did circumcision come from? It came from the Abrahamic covenant, and it was the outward expression of a covenant that was entered into between man and God. God directs circumcision, physical expression of being in covenant with him. The whole of Egypt, the whole of uh, Israel that lived in Egypt had been tainted. Their relationship with God had been tainted with the idolatry that was in Egypt. And God is about to clean house. In the natural, circumcision Is for cleanliness you're adults can I talk to you like adults underneath this extra layer of skin there's if it's not cleaned properly and frequently it can harbor bacteria and they have lots of studies today that prove that an uncircumcised male who does not have good cleanliness over a period of time will cause the bacteria that builds up to be in the female and this brings about cancer of the cervix so there is value in circumcision there is value in the spiritual realm too If you circumcise, you cut out the junk and the dirt. I call it sin and idolatry. And that's what God was doing. He was cutting that stuff out of the children of Israel. In a way, He was saying, Before I fight your battles for you, bear the mark of our covenant on your body. They did. Knowing that it would incapacitate the army for multiple days didn't make any difference. Everyone came and cooperated, and they had circumcision. Now, when it was done, there was a physical mark left on the male. Every time the male did his normal elimination... His eyes would fall upon his body part. And he was reminded, I am in covenant with Almighty God. Every time a man would have relations with his wife, his wife would take comfort in looking at his body part and say, I am, live with a man who is in covenant with God. My family's covered by that covenant if the gentleman decided that he wanted to have illicit sexual activity when he decided to participate you couldn't hide the mark and it really seemed to take the stuffing out of what they were planning to do can i put it that way even in nazi germany i I thought this was so interesting. When a lot of the Jews were trying to get out of the country, they forged papers, they did whatever they could to to get free. And if the Nazis had any question whether the papers were real or forged, they would ask him to drop their britches in the middle of the street, and there was the mark of the covenant. You can't get rid of it. It's a permanent mark. But God wanted that permanent mark. There's certain characteristics to this circumcision. First of all, there's pain for a season. There is pain. It cuts out the source of infection. It can't be done without your permission. And it's always followed by healing that might take anywhere from 7 to 14 days. That's a long time for an army to be in a must-win situation and unable to function normally. Now, aren't you glad that in the New Testament this is not a requirement to have circumcision in, a, in the mail? But the Bible does tell us in Romans 2.29 that we are to have a circumcised heart. In Deuteronomy 10 it says have a circumcised heart. The purpose of circumcision was to have a visible mark. Then how does the what visible mark does it leave if we circumcise the heart, think of the purpose of what it's for. It gets rid of sin. This, this is a place where you turn your back on sin. It's visible in the sense that when we circumcise our heart and cut out all sin and ask Jesus to be Lord of our life, when that happens... The fruit of the Spirit takes root, and they will know us by our love. And the characteristics and the personality of Jesus Christ and the characteristics of the Holy Spirit begin to show in our life. Love begins to show. The unlovely. It's easy to love those that are nice, It's the ones that drive you crazy. And people notice that kind of love. Love and joy. Even in the midst of difficulties, joy, peace. Peace in the middle of difficulty. Patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. It is visible to the world. Is there pain for a season? Yes, there is. When you're confronted with what you're really like on the inside, and Jesus is circumcising your heart and cutting out that junk from you, there's this pain for a season. But he's cutting out a source of infection. Let him do it. It can't be done without your permission. It can't be done without your permission. You can squawk and say no and walk away, and he'll leave you alone for a while. And there's always healing that follows. Isn't that wonderful? God wanted a unified response from Israel before God led them to victory. So here we go. Circumcision, God's not in a hurry. And here we have the whole of Jericho waiting what is going on? These people had a miracle. They walked through the Jordan River on dry ground and they're just sitting there in a camp. What are they doing? Why aren't they coming after us? Can you imagine concern in the in the house? Well, they had their celebration of Passover. Passover celebrates deliverance. Do you remember when they were in Egypt? The Curse that had been pronounced was the firstborn would die if there was no blood on the doorposts and on the lintel of the house. And the reason they celebrated this remembrance was because they lived through that night and they didn't die, and the angel passed over them. Well, they had just lived through another situation. They were at a river and couldn't cross it. And here comes God as deliverer. They had a delivering. Uh, They had been entered into the promised land. They did not qualify to participate in the Passover unless they were circumcised. Now the entire army will celebrate Passover. Deliverance. It's so interesting to me the appropriation of canaan's produce they started the day after they took passover they took remembrance of deliverance and the next day manna stopped and they ate from the land unleavened bread and parched corn i was thinking to myself Any child that had been born 40 years while they worked worked their way through the wilderness probably never tasted anything except manna. This would be the first time, could have been 40 years old, and this would be the first time they tasted something other than manna. Interesting thought, isn't it? I was sitting there trying to picture... what was happening, I'm looking in my mind's eye at Jericho and the camp of Joshua's camp and the river. And all of a sudden, I heard in my spirit Psalms 23. I opened it up and I looked, and this is what it says. Thou preparest a table before me in the very presence of mine enemies. Oh, I tell you, God's good. He made sure that there was food for these people to eat, preservation for every one of them. Now, Joshua doesn't have a plan, he's waiting. He thought he was going to have a plan the first day after they passed through the, the river. No plan. Circumcision, excuse me, remembrance comes first. Okay, as soon as we build this little pile of rocks, God will give me a plan. No plan. Circumcision is God's plan. Passover is God's plan. That could have been seven to 14 days later. I didn't figure it out myself. But every day, Joshua got up, and he's waiting to hear from God what's the plan? Okay? What did he do when he didn't have a plan before they crossed? He went and moved the entire army to the edge of the river and he looked at the river. That was his mountain he had to cross. And he looked at the river. And I'm sure he's saying, God, what's your plan? what's your plan? And he eventually heard the plan. He inquired of the Lord, Lord, how do I get across this river? I need to hear your voice and I'll obey. When he heard God's voice, he did exactly what he was told and they crossed the river successfully. If you have a successful time like that with the Lord and you ask a question and you get an answer and it works really good and you get a miracle, wouldn't you do the same thing again? So I picture him looking at his mountain. It's visible. I'm going to read to you a section from chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. I forgot. Does anybody want a Bible? I know it's a little late. I forgot. Okay. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho. Okay. He did exactly what I expected him to do. He went right up to Jericho. Maybe he did it after the sun went down. Nobody was coming out trying to kill Joshua and his troops but he went right up to the city and he looked at his mountain now I tell you sometimes there's value in that and sometimes there isn't because sometimes it looks bigger and bigger and bigger and when you can't with your own mind figure out how you this responsibility was on his shoulders and he has no answers and this is he has to win this battle He said, now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho. He went right up to Jericho, and he looked at it, and he thought. What kind of weapons do we have? Slings? Arrows? Maybe spears? Things that were small, that were light, that could be carried in a cart? Certainly not heavy-duty weapons. He looked, and he said, I, I have, I'm stuck. I haven't got a plan. How do I hear from God? Everybody says this. How do I hear from God? You've heard 10,000 times from God. But now you're in a pickle, and you've got a mountain in front of you. I need to hear from God. He just kept staring at the mountain, inquiring of the Lord, Lord, You put me in charge, but I need to hear from you. What do we do? And he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. A man was standing opposite him, and he had a drawn sword. The swords in those days were mostly two-edged swords. Meaning that whichever way you went, left or right or up or down, whichever way you swung your hand, whether it was going to or back again, you're going to cut something. What does the Bible call the two edged sword that we carry in our hands, in our mouth? It's the Word. It's the Word. Man was standing opposite him with a two edged sword. The Bible describes it as a two edged sword, the word of God. Every word God had spoken concerning the promised land was about to come pass. It's gonna come to pass. It's gonna come to pass. The word that you have had from God that you've been holding on to day after day and year after year, it's gonna come to pass. Let this encourage you. God had the entire Israeli people that he had to make sure had the word come to pass. Um, God watches over his word to perform it. Joshua did not discern immediately whether this was friend or foe, but he went to the man. I'm going back to the scripture. He said, Now when it came about, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went to him. Well, hold on from there for just a minute. Joshua went to him. If he was, he didn't know whether he was a foe or he was an Israelite. He didn't know that initially. If that had been a foe, I believe Joshua was prepared to fight. He advanced towards him. If he was an Israelite, that, that kid is going to be in trouble because this is head of the army and he hadn't given any direction to draw a sword and now there was a two-edged sword hanging over Joshua's head. He's going to get corrected one way or the other. And Joshua said to the man, Are you for us or are you our adversary? He didn't recognize it immediately. Now we're going to hear something that I hope is going to shake your world. And he said, the man that Joshua saw said, no, I'm neither one of those. Rather, I indeed come now. Come now. Now. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not next year. I'm coming now. That's exactly what Joshua needed. He needed now help. I come now as captain of the host of the Lord. Captain, another word for captain is, is uh, yeah, commander or prince. And I really like prince because it shows royalty. Of the host of the Lord. The host of the Lord. The armies of the Lord. The troops of the Lord. The angels of the Lord. I come now. You need help today? I come now as the captain of the host of the Lord. What does the captain do? He gives direction. He tells him what to do, how to do it. Boy, I tell you, this was good news to Joshua. He knew he had stumbled across something special. And Joshua fell on his face on the, to the earth. Immediately, his spirit bore witness. Now, he had been in the presence of the Lord a good part of his life. He followed Moses. He'd stay in the the tent of meeting even after Moses went off to bed. He knew the presence of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth in worship. Now, if this had been an angel, that angel is indeed in really bad territory, receiving the worship from Joshua that should have gone to, to, to God. I believe with all my heart, this was an indi- uh, indication that this was a, where Jesus came himself to fulfill the word. He came himself to fulfill the word. He came himself to fulfill the word. What's his name? Jesus is called Word. He was the Word. Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and he bowed down to him, and he said, What has my Lord to say to this servant? I need a plan. God showed up. Oh, hallelujah. God showed up. Jesus himself was in charge. He said, I've come as the captain of the host of the Lord. He is here. He's here to help. Jesus had a plan. Joshua did not have to bear the responsibility of leading these people by himself. I can feel the pressure leaving his shoulders. Jesus is here. God has showed up. I needed it. Who's going to help him? It had to be God. And God showed up. The drawn sword indicated that this God figure was not only willing to fight for Israel, which is significant, but he was going to stand in the middle of that battle with Israel. Oh, I like that. Because sometimes life gets very complicated. And I always love to know that God is going to fight my battles for me. But it's really nice to know that he's with me at the same time. He was not limited to just the might of this physical army. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's a military man. And he looks at 40,000 troops and he knows approximately what kind of activity he can get out of them. But when you bring the troops of heaven along with the military, you're going to have some unusual things begin to happen. He didn't have to look at his troops and say, this is all we can accomplish is what the mere man can do. Thank you, Jesus for every time we come across a rocky place where we need more than our own physical body can give us in our own mind, thank you, Jesus, we can tap into you. I find that just very comforting to know that the troops of heaven are there. The battle was not Joshua's. The battle was the Lord's. The Lord had given his word. It had gone out into existence, and it was hovering in this earth. Holy Ghost is watching over that word to make sure every bit of it is performed. And if it can't be done by man, he's making sure it's going to be done by the troops of heaven. The battle was not his. And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. He recognized that this was something extraordinary. This was extraordinary, supernatural. He was touching it and feeling it and having a conversation with the captain of the hosts of the Lord. Oh my, wouldn't you like to have been there? Do you remember when Elisha had been getting words of knowledge from God about what the um Syrian army was planning? And he would tell the the, the Syrian army was going after. Another group of people, I read it, and I didn't write down which group of people, but they were having discussions and fightings. And Elisha was picking up in his spirit everything that was being planned in their bedrooms. They thought it was private in their bedrooms. And the king said, get rid of this Elisha. Well, they woke up one morning, Elisha and his trusty servant. And the trusty servant went outside to ready things for the morning. And he looked into his absolute utter amazement. He froze in fear because there were out here an entire troop of armies that had come for one little prophet. And they were causing no little Discussion in the city. They were going through the whole city looking for Elisha. Elisha didn't blink a bit. Not a bit. He said, I pray, Lord, that you open my servant's eyes that he may see that those that are with us are more than those that are in, from the enemy's camp. And when the eyes of the servant were opened, he saw horses and chariots of fire, more than what had come with an entire troop of uh, military from the enemy. 2 Kings 6, if you want to go there and read that again, feel free to. Now, what did we learn? Okay, I've got, it's just about eight. I've got a. To... One of the things... Will you give me five minutes? One of the things we need to put in perspective is where we sit in the plan of God. We're in the New Testament. And I was sharing this with a couple of people just a few minutes ago before the service. What do we do? How do we fight the enemy? How do we fight the enemy? God does not need you to defeat the devil today. Jesus has already done it and given you the victory. Remember when he talks about how Jesus took the enemy and went through heaven and made a public display of him openly. He took every bit of authority and power away from the devil. Your part is to enforce the victory by simply standing your ground, which is victory ground. In other words, you fight from victory ground by standing. You don't fight for victory. The victory has already been One. In Ephesians 6, the passage talks about spiritual warfare and wrestling. Appears only once, that word wrestle, while the word stand appears four times. We stand in the victory that has been gained for us by Jesus Christ. You're already on victory ground. You already have everything in Christ. You are already blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, and the devil knows this. And that is why his tactic is to deceive you and make you think that you don't have the victory. But we come from a place of victory. The place that Joshua was in, it had to be a military victory right then, right there. We are incredibly fortunate that Jesus Christ came and he took care of every bit of the enemy. He took care of sickness. He took care of disease. He took care of curses. He took care of every bit of this. And he said, if you will just believe me, I will engraft you inside of me. And the victory that I have won, you will have also. I'll tell you, that's good news. This was sent to me, to David, by a friend of ours to encourage him. And I thought it was so good. That's our place of victory. Now, what did we learn? We learned God's not in a hurry. He's just, he's just not. But he does know what he's doing. We learned that it's very important when we're facing a major battle in life, Don't get panicky over time. That's a big deal. We learned the priorities that God had from starting this battle, crossing over the Jordan. And they haven't even got to the actual battle yet, but several days here. What did God do? God looked and he said, it's really important for me, to me, that you tell the children Make sure that you pass that along to the kids. It is very important that there's junk in your life. Cut it out. Get it out of there. He talks about circumcision. It's time for us to get serious. If there's things that need to be corrected, we need to correct them. Then there's a time of remembrance. It's our Passover. It's our communion. We sit before God, and we just remember previous deliverances. I remember the first time I was healed. I had been believing God, and I was walking down the hallway at Stone Mill Lane. And I stopped, and I said, what is going on? And my eyesight corrected itself. And I felt this warmth go from top of my head to the bottom of my toes, I said, This is God. And 25 years I didn't have anything medically that was even a question. 25 years that stuck. I looked at that and I said to myself, I need to remember that. We need to remember the goodness of God and the deliverance of God. I remember driving down the highway. And the brakes didn't hold. I was in the far left-hand lane. There were four lanes to get over here. And I have no recollection at all. I remember putting my foot on the brake and nothing happening. And I ended up on the side of the road. And a man tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, are you all right? And I said, I'm all right, and I don't know how, but I'm all right. I remember falling down, slipping into a pit in Africa, and I didn't die, and I didn't even hit bottom. Deliverance of God, hallelujah. That's what we're supposed to do. This is God's priority. This is what he thinks is so important Before we get to the actual battle, remember his goodness. Remember the times when he has delivered you. Remember the times when he has stepped into, and you didn't have a plan, you didn't have anything, and all of a sudden, God himself involved himself in your business. I tell you, that's good news. At the beginning, when you start that process, you might feel kind of downhearted by the, the wall that you have to overcome, the big mountain that's in front of you. But when you begin to rehearse how good God has been to you and how he has taken care of you, that is just builds faith, makes us strong like a lion, He is a good God. Lord, I just ask that you take that has been taught tonight and you let it sink on the inside of their hearts and minds and strength. There's a lot of people who have mountains to overcome. And in Jesus' name, I pray over them that they not attack too fast but they allow themselves to meditate on the goodness of God, allow themselves to meditate on the scriptures, the promises of God, that they rehearse and chew and put it in their spirits exactly how God has helped them and delivered them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take God's priorities and put them to work. Okay? Okay. See you next week.